Hello SBC and welcome to our online service this week. This is our 35th Sunday online and we are so excited to have you with us. We will be having our final installment of the current sermon series, Getting Ready Together. Uh, and this one is the people who are devoted to the prayers. So we're really excited to hear Matt J bring us that uh, message today. Also for your information, uh, so that you can prepare yourselves at the end of the service, we'll have an opportunity uh, to do communion together uh, online. And uh, yeah, you can go and grab your grape juice and your bread or whatever you want to use as your elements today as we remember uh, the Lord and what he did for us uh, on the cross. As uh, church normalizes, we have many uh, serving opportunities for people to get involved in, and I'm going to hand you over to a handsome young fellow uh, to let you know about some of those. Hey SBC, I just want to let you know about a few serving opportunities within the worship ministry this morning. Obviously, you can serve uh, on the stage uh, in the visible positions of maybe a band member or a singer. But the ones in particular I want to let you know about today, and they're ones that we sorely need people's help with, is the visuals desk or the visuals computer and the sound desk. Now for the visuals computer, if you are good at concentrating and you can commit to maybe every second week or even every third week, uh, we'd love to have you on board with that. It is really not that complicated. Uh, anyone can really do it as long as you can concentrate uh, for the full uh, service. And then the sound desk is obviously a little bit more technical. Uh, your main thing you will need is to be able to hear tones, uh, be able to hear and put together sounds from different instruments well. And now if you have that ability, we would love to train you uh, and work with you um, so that we can get a roster of people involved uh, in the sound desk ministry. And uh, I just want to say that all of these things work together so well um, and they are a part of what uh, God envisaged when he saw the church serving together. Um, we all have different gifts and different skills that we use together to make church happen. And so if you would like to be a part of that, please let me know. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Dane and uh, we would love to get you involved as soon as possible. Thanks guys. Thanks so much, Dane, for that. Uh, thank you for bringing it so well and so clearly, and I'm sure his invigoration uh, will bring uh, you all to want to serve uh, in the church. As we head into our service, I just want to say that you are welcome to worship with us by giving. Uh, it is one of the ways that we show uh, our devotion to the Lord is by giving back uh, some of what he's given to us. Uh, and we see this as an opportunity to worship. Uh, so the link is on the screen and you can uh, give. And then also as the service goes on, if there is a testimony uh, or maybe a verse that you would like to share, please do so in the comment feed. Uh, over to Joey as he uh, just brings us into the sermon today. Good morning, Sterling, and welcome to another online service. It's good to be with you here this morning. I'm just going to read to you a psalm that really encouraged me this morning. It comes from Psalm 74, verse 12, says, Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. That this God that we have is the Angel of Days. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. He is uh, still King. He's still sovereign over all world events. And uh, even in the midst of 2020 and the things that are happening even now, as we speak, God is working in the midst of the earth to bring salvation, to work out his plan. His plans will not be thwarted. And that was just a really encouragement to me this morning. I thought I'd share it with you, especially as we go into a sermon now on prayer, to be reminded this is the God we pray to. 
We pray to a God who is king and sovereign and over all things. And uh, so enjoy the sermon. We're praying for you. And I'm going to hand over to Matt now. Hello everyone and welcome to another online service today. Can you believe it? We are in part eight of our Getting Ready Together series. And uh, we are looking at a scripture passage, hopefully that has become very familiar for those who've tracked through this uh, sermon series with us. But Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47 and I'm just going to read it again for us today. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47 goes as follows. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're busy with this series that we've called Getting Ready Together for a very specific reason, because as we navigate ourselves out of lockdown, we're wanting to use this time of enforced change that's come upon us as a society, but also as a church, um, to review our lives. We want to come out of this lockdown season more focused and more intentional around the things that really matter. And so this series is designed to put push the reset button on our hearts and minds and to go, guys, are we giving ourselves to the things that matter? You see, we have a limited resource called time and we've only given so much to the side of the grave and we want to live our lives with purpose and in a meaningful way that guarantees what we're doing now matters, not only in this life, but the next and the early church is instructive for us because they really did simplify things. They gave themselves essentially to four big things and everything else flowed from that. And by now you should be able to quote them in your sleep. It was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the thing I love about this passage is that it's actually quite simple. That church for them was a clarifying space. Their faith helped them see the world more clearly. And it might have do the same for us at the end of this sermon series, which, by the way, this is the last part to our sermon series, Getting Ready Together. Now, remember, we said that it was important to note that this devotion, this word devotion, was particularly in how they used this precious resource of time. They were diligent in, they gave themselves constantly to, they persisted in the giving of time to these things. This is how they expressed their love for Jesus. And how did we get to today, which we're going to be preaching on, which is the last of the list of four, which is their devotion to the prayers. Well, we said that, you know, being a Christian is the most radical thing that can happen to a human being. It's literally becoming new on the inside. You become a new person and this person needs nourishment. The spiritual life in you needs nourishment. And that's why they primarily gathered was to hear God's word. And um, 
This also then created their attitude to God's word. It was the most precious thing to them. It was the thing that they needed most in life. And so they sought to not only hear it regularly, but apply it. And again, the question you must ask yourself as we come to the end of this series is, can I see change in my life? Am I more determined than ever to be devoted to the apostles teaching God's word to me personally every day, but also the local preaching of the word of God to the church? Remember that that is the primary way God speaks through his spirit to the church. And so that led to their devotion to the fellowship. And that was a devotion to the big gatherings in the temple. In other words, our Sunday context, and also to the midweek gatherings, the smaller fellowships. And again, I want to ask you today, my friends, are you seriously paying attention to your devotion to not just one or the other, but both? church gatherings on Sundays as well as small groups. And it's important to interrogate your heart in the season to go. Am I just staying away because of comfort or because of wisdom? And then the third is the breaking of bread. It's very precious, this part is. We said two weeks ago that this breaking of bread and the devotion to it kept them from being cold and legalistic. You see, this breaking of bread is a celebration of a person, Jesus. We follow a person. We fall in love with a person. Christianity is not a religion. It is a response to a person. And we are to warm our hearts to Jesus over and over again through this visual sermon of the breaking of bread. But also, it helps examine our hearts. It maintains unity of the church. Uh, We are eating and partaking of one body. So we are to represent that unity in Christ and also helps wean out any sin and any bad attitudes that we have towards our brothers and towards God. And so we get to this place of the prayers, and this is very precious today. It's the last on our list of four, and their devotion to the prayers, it is specifically the prayers in the Greek, because like the fellowship, it was devotion to corporate praying. And although I'm gonna be talking both and this morning, the personal act of praying, I also want to emphasize today, we have to catch a vision from the scripture for praying together as a church. It's very important. Prayer is not just a personal endeavor. It's something that we do together as the body of Christ. Local congregations are to pray. And so as you come together in the fellowship, we want to fight today for recapturing recapturing a vision for corporate prayer. But also, and you'll notice if you haven't yet attended one of our Sunday services. We've changed our services around. We want to be known as a church that prays. We want to be praying in our small groups, not only praying in our homes personally or throughout the day, but praying in our small groups, praying on Sunday. When people talk about SBC, they need to be saying, this is a church that prays. And so we're also talking about the prayers as not being liturgical. You know, we talk about the prayers. It sounds rather formal. It wasn't something that they were doing that was uh, written down or incantational which were repeated over and over. No, this prayer meeting corporately was alive. It was full of exciting power in the spirit. Guys were enjoying the presence of Jesus together. It was the prayers. It meant the time to come together and to seek God corporately, not just listen to his word, but respond in going hard after him in prayer. Okay, so my first point today is why is the prayers last in the list of four? Remember, we had the apostles teaching, the fellowship the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Because again, I would think that prayer would come first. But it's not. You see, in essence, prayer really is simply put a response to these three things that come before it. And I want to show it to you today. I mean, prayer is a response to the apostles' preaching. It's not apostles' teaching. It's not hard for me to prove today that what you believe directly affects how you pray. 
and the measure to which you grasp the apostles' teaching, in other words, which is the, this revelation of God, the interpretation of the Old Testament by this new covenant which produced the New Testament, this whole Word of God, the more you grasp this teaching in your life, the more you'll grow in prayer. I mean, I, I, I can give you many examples, but a few that I thought of, you know, you can listen to a person praying and pick up what they believe. A person who has a, 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 a certain view of spiritual warfare and the demonic, who see demons around every corner, you'll notice when they pray, they'll be binding every cough, every hiccup, every sneeze, you know, I bind this in Jesus' name and I bind that in Jesus' name. It's because of what they believe about how the demonic plays out in this world. It's not necessarily that I agree with that view entirely. But I do think that there's a place where you can actually begin to see what sort of formation biblically does this person have? It comes through in their prayer life. Or maybe you will hear someone praying, I declare healing, I declare wealth, I declare blessing, you know, this sort of dictatorial blessing, uh, dictatorial praying to God. Um, one does wonder, actually, you know, in that sort of framework of, of, of approaching scripture, um, who's in authority? You know, are you, is God under your authority? You know, in, in that form of praying. But again, I, I'm not trying to uh, belittle anybody that prays like this. What I am pointing out is you can see what they believe by how they pray. And again, you, the way that you view God affects how you pray. The bigger your view of God, the bigger your prayers. Because you see this God is big enough to answer really anything. And as I'm asking, it's an invitation for him to answer. And then you also can see a littleness in prayer often betrays a sense of someone still needing to see more of how big God is. And so one of the great ways that you grow is to grasp God's word and to turn scripture and its message into prayer. You pray what you learn from God's word. You turn that into prayer. It's a response to the truth. And uh, prayer is shaped by our grasp of the truth. And I want to remind small group leaders, anyone, if you have got a friend that's um, in the Lord, the way that you are to, you can pastorally pick up how they're doing is how they're praying, what's coming through. And again, so that's the apostles' teaching. Prayer is a response to our grasp of the apostles' teaching. Secondly, you see prayer that flows out of the fellowship. You can't pray if you are not in unity with the church. I tell you, one of the things that quenches wonderful corporate prayer times is if there is a, a, a unforgiveness or an unsettledness in the church. Uh, no, prayer, particularly the praise, is its most powerful when you have the church gathering together with one heart, one mind, and one pursuit of the Spirit. Also, we see that prayer flows out of this breaking of bread, and I, I really want to encourage you, the reason why we need to celebrate communion often in our church and small groups is because what we want to see happen is we want to realize that we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. One of the most difficult things to do in, prayer, in your prayer life is to pray with a guilty conscience. You can't do it. You will never be able to get close to God. And one of the things that you can pick up on when someone prays, and again, I don't want us to be critical of people's prayers. I want us to be pastoral in that if someone never prays my father or Jesus, but they always pray God or Lord, there's an underlying distance in that way of praying. When you are praying Father, I mean, Jesus even prayed Abba, Father, you are um, displaying a safety in God's presence, which is what the blood of Christ gives you, is you are able to approach the throne of grace with confidence because Christ has made a way for you through his body and blood. And so one of the ways to have 
a clear conscience before God and also to get really close to him and intimate is to constantly remember the gospel and let this visual sermon of communion bring us into the very intimate presence of God. So you see, my friends, prayer is a response to these things. And the more you give yourself to them, the more it will bless your prayer life. And what in essence do I mean then prayer is? Prayer in essence is an expression of delight and dependency in God. Prayer is an expression of delight and dependency in God. And it really is the thing that flows through this whole list. When we see what God's done for us through Scripture, when we see the joy of being a part of this household and being part of this household of prayer and the unity that comes with pursuing God together and getting to enjoy the gospel preached to us over and over again through the Lord's help, prayer is a response of, to all of these things. But I want to say my second point today, why pray? I mean, it's an important question because I want to remind us today that prayer is a mystery. God doesn't need our prayers. He is sovereign. He, he even says in, in Matthew 6, Jesus himself said that, you know, before we even say what we're going to say, he knows what we're going to say. He knows what we're going to ask. But you see, this is the wonderful thing about prayer. Although it's a mystery and God doesn't need our prayers, he asks for them. He loves them and dignifies prayer by using prayer. You see, God doesn't like to work despite prayer. He likes to work with prayer, through prayer. And so when we are talking about prayer today, although it is a mystery, it is an invitation for God to somehow sovereignly infuse his purposes and move them forward through the simple prayers we pray. It's, it's glorious. But I want to say, despite prayer being a mystery, Prayer does something for us. Let's just remember my second point is why pray. Prayer does something for us personally. And the first thing it does for us personally is that it reminds us and declares to the world that we as Christians believe in a personal living God who speaks and acts. It is wonderful to celebrate. It is the most exciting thing today. And my purpose for this sermon is to warm your heart just to pray. Is this and to pray as a church. But but friends, you have a God who's inclining his ear to you in Christ. He's listening. He delights in not only just hearing, but speaking back and moving in response to our prayers. He's not a dumb idol made of stone or carved in our own image or made of ivory. No, and he's not a mechanical vending machine. He's personal. He listens to us and he loves to answer us and move in response to our requests. And therefore, what does prayer do for us? It gives us the most precious recourse to God. It is the way primarily we access his presence. There are other ways, like sitting under anointed preaching gives you a sense of the presence of God. Being together in a fellowship that's worshipping with all their heart and the Holy Spirit is responding. But I want to say those moments aren't often as often as they are possible through prayer. Friends, this is the wonderful thing. Prayer gives us access to the presence of God. We bring our worship, our needs, our requests and thanksgivings right to his throne room, right before his presence. In a sense, we get to hear his breath and his voice in response to our prayers. It is the most intimate place with God. And I tell you, there's no other way that you're going to know him unless you're going to take prayer or grab hold of it with both hands. Prayer keeps us in balance. It's very important. And I, I want to say to us today, even our church specifically, SBC, is at risk of this. Maybe if you're from another church and you're listening today, your church's dangers are different. But our danger as a church is this, is that we can become too intellectual. 
we become too abstract and cold and we think knowing about God is the same as knowing God. It's not. And if you ask me why the list of four is in the order that it is, is that you've got the apostles' teaching as one bracket, but you've got the praise as the other because it won't let you just become a, 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 a nerd, a spiritual nerd, an intellectual bookish kind of person. It will. It forces you to say there is an experience, there's a translation from this truth into our engaging with God through prayer. And both have to keep us in perfect balance. And you can tilt. And our church can tilt towards cold intellectual and other churches um, tilt towards an undoctrinal, pure experiential uh, way of trying to relate to God, which is very unstable. It does a lot of damage long term. But both are dangerous because both grieve the spirits. And today, if you want to be balanced in your life, you have to give yourself not only to God's word, not only to the fellowship and the, 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 the breaking bread, but to prayer. Because you see, friends, prayer in the New Testament is experiential. Oh, prayer is something that we are to taste and see God through. It's your primary way of getting to know God. The only way, my friend, that you are going to get to know God is if you talk to him regularly. The only way that we are going to see God's blessing upon our church corporately is if we love pursuing him in prayer. And today, remember, we are following a person. We are not a religion. We are responding in a love relationship to a person where we want to pour out our lives in response to him through obedience and through passion. You see, the thing that prayer also does for us personally is it makes you and me more reachable. I've noticed when I neglect prayer, I struggle to hear the voice of God. But as I take intentional time to seek him, as you will find, suddenly God's voice becomes more frequent, more accessible. And so today, friends, something that we need to recognize about prayer is we're not talking about a religious act of incantation. Prayer is something to be discovered. It's experiential in nature. And you will never discover it unless you give yourself to it wholeheartedly. A few attempts here and there is never going to enable you to taste and see God in this gift of prayer. And so I want to say to you today, I'm, I'm not just talking personally, but Terry Virgo, who, man, I really respect in the Lord. He said this. He said, one of the most exciting places to be is in a church prayer meeting where you've got the church hungering and thirsting after God and going. He says, some of the most amazing things happen. We discover things about God in this corporate space of enjoying God's presence and pursuing him in prayer together. And I, and I recognize today, prayer can be also frustrating and persevering as we'll see in the life of Jesus. But we are to take hold of this personally, this personal benefit of praying. My second thing is, do you know that under this question of why praise is that prayer does something for God. Did you know that? God loves prayer. Why? Well, because he loves the pleasure of your company. One of the most wonderful quotes, which is true by Artie Kendall, is God spells love, T-I-M-E. You know, God loves your full attention. He loves being with you. You know, this is how a love relationship works. When I'm with Marina and I'm distracted, and she goes, hey, I want to spend time with you. I want your full attention. You know, God wants that from us. And, you know, to pray is to give God the thing he really wants and why he's designed prayer, which is you. But he also uses prayer. And I want to keep drumming. I don't understand how it works 
but it's true. And John Wesley said this, he said, God does nothing but by prayer. In other words, God's means of grace of working in this world is by doing it through prayer. Because you see, why pray? Well, because it does something for the world. And I want to say to you today, prayer turns the world upside down. It changes it. And the perfect proof is this very church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 that we read is what they're doing in Acts chapter 1. They're praying, 120 of them or so, are up and locked in this upper room. And they are fervently with devotion, praying to God. And God pours out his spirit. And in one day, 3,000 people get saved. And from that moment, the world is never the same again. And friends, I want to say to you today, prayer moves God's work forward in this world. I had the joy of a couple of weeks ago getting to talk to Liz Hill. who has been a great example to me and our church in this ministry of prayer. And she's now going to be with the Lord this week. But Liz taught me a lot about prayer. And one of the things that I said to her in our last conversation on the phone before she went to be with the Lord was I said to her, Liz, do you realize something? That God is going to continue working even when you're gone to be with him. Because prayer is not just for this lifetime. Prayer is for the lifetimes to come. And even when we go to be back, go back home to be with God, God is answering prayer. If you want to give yourself to an eternal work and a work that's going to be blessed by God beyond your grave is prayer, my friend. What my desire is out of today is we as a church and as individuals have to grasp a vision for prayer again. Prayer is the most powerful and perpetuating act of love that you can do on behalf of this world and to God. And church, we need to have a vision for our lives in prayer. Prayer invites you to change nations even though you don't see it in this life. And that's a biblical statement because Abraham, who had this promise of this land Canaan and that he was going to have descendants greater than the number of stars, in his lifetime did not see it, but he believed it. And God did something powerful. He had a vision of believing God's work. And his response in his life was not just for his life, but all of those to come. We are children of Abraham by faith. And I want to encourage you today, my friend, what is your vision for prayer? How are you going to use the times and the minutes that God has given you in this life to be powerfully partnering for moving God's kingdom forward in this life? Prayer gives the greatest opportunity to be a blessing, not only to God, but to the world around us. And I want to say to you today, the one thing Satan will love to do in your life is to get you discouraged and distracted in praying. He'll throw up your sin. He'll throw up your schedule. He'll throw up your discouragement of not finding God's presence the first time you pray. He'll do all sorts of things to get you to do the one thing he really fears, which is be devoted and be full of faith and the belief that what I'm doing now in bringing my requests and bringing myself into the presence of God, it is the most powerful thing I can do as a believer in this world. Because not only is it achieving something for the king, it makes me reachable to the Holy Spirit. And who knows what God's going to say? Not just who knows what God's going to do. Who knows what God is going to say to you the next time you take time out to pray, as you give yourself during the day, as we get together as a church. Who knows what the Spirit's going to be doing? But he'll do it through prayer. I'll tell you that. And so my third point is this, how to pray. I'm not going to say anything on it except this. There is a brilliant sermon series that was preached last year by our church during September, October in 2019 on the Lord's Prayer. And that is the ultimate teaching on prayer by Jesus. You want to learn how to pray? Go listen to that series and apply it with all your might. 
But I will say this, the more you are devoted to this, this, these three things prior to prayer, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and rejoicing through the Lord's Supper, it will fuel your prayer life. And so today, I really want to end by looking at the greatest model. My fourth point is this, the greatest model to us in prayer, which is Jesus. You know, you should do a few exciting things with your Bible. And one of them is to just read the life of Jesus and see how did he live? What did he say? How did he feel? Because you must remember, Jesus is our model. We only received this name Christian much later in, in, in our history. Um, we started off as being called disciples. That is our identity. A disciple means we follow someone in a disciplined way, in a committed way. We, are, we have a leader. And our leader is Jesus. And I want to say to you today, it is no wonder that when we read this church in Acts and all of the New Testament churches prior after, and those churches which have been used by God throughout church history, they have been devoted to prayer. And so today, my friends, I want us to look at briefly how Jesus enjoyed this prayer, wielded it in, our, in his life, how he experienced and modeled prayer for us, and what prayer enabled in Jesus's life. Now, I want to remind you again, Jesus, when you look at his life, he is not the superhero where he is different to us. He's not in the sense that he had our limitations. He took on our body, our nature. And so don't, don't look at Jesus as this kind of other person that's not like you. He is like you. He's a man, according to the flesh, although he's divine. He knows what it's like to walk in our skin, yet without sin. So he had the same limitations yet. He didn't know everything. He didn't have the omniscient nature of God at work. He, 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 he left that when he left heaven. He walked totally by faith. He, he had to be totally dependent on the Father. And that's important for you and me because when we read the life of Jesus, he is modeling to us what we need to become. And so today, I want us to look very quickly at some of the examples of Jesus to us and the overflow of that in our lives. So one of the first things we see happening is when Jesus rocks up on the public scene, is he flows with what God is doing with John the Baptist. Remember what I'm doing here is I'm just giving you topical instances of how prayer played out in the life of the Son of God as a model for us and how he devoted himself to it. But the first thing that happens that we see in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22, is he gets baptized by John and he's praying. After his baptism, he's sitting there praying and suddenly this outpouring, the baptism of the Spirit comes down upon him like a dove. And Jesus experiences the infilling, the empowering of the Spirit through prayer. And, it, and, and not only that, so that's what the first thing prayer will do. That we've seen, it, will, it will set you up for encounters with God through the Holy Spirit. But secondly, he's got to hear God's voice through prayer. He hears this incredible voice of the Father saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. So not only is Jesus just praying, but the Father is speaking to him, and even publicly in this instance. And friends, it was through prayer, post-baptism that he had, water baptism, this infilling of the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for ministry. And if you're wanting a fresh power in your life, maybe you're dry and you're thirsty today, pursue God in prayer. Christ experienced his greatest affirming experiences in the presence of God through his prayer life. And then Jesus starts his public ministry only after he experienced this infilling power of the Spirit through prayer. And then what happens is, is in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus takes a lot of time out. 
You'll see he's super busy. Don't think that Jesus had it easy. Let me tell you, from the moment he woke, woke up to the moment he got to go flop himself into bed, he had people all the time pressing him. And what he would do is at night, he would go away frequently to desolate places to pray, and he would come down and he would have such clarity of God's purpose on his life through prayer. Anybody asking questions, maybe you've lost your job in lockdown, or maybe you've got to make a decision of what you're going to study, or maybe what you study is not what you want to do. Maybe you're stuck in some season, you're needing wisdom, you're needing direction from God. I want to appeal to you today, friends, you've got to turn it into prayer because Jesus found the leadership of the Father's life primarily coming through his prayer life. I mean, the, the most typical example is in Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Jesus' ministry is booming. It is exploding. And what does Jesus do? He comes down. And even though the people are begging him to stay, they're looking for him. They say, he says, I can't stay here. There's other towns I've got to go. He says this. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He gets his purpose from God through prayer. The other wonderful example is he prays the whole night before he chooses his 12 disciples. Isn't that incredible? Before he does anything, he didn't pick them at random. He chose them after God said, these are the guys you've got to pick. And Jesus' disciples looking at his life said, man, I want this prayer life, Jesus. They so saw him enjoying prayer and giving himself to prayer and changed by prayer that in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, one of his disciples says, hey man, he says, well, first of all, he says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray. They saw something that they coveted. They were jealous for this area of Jesus' life to become their own. And Jesus, in his, that led to his perfect teaching of prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer. He says, I'm assuming that what I'm doing, you're going to do. Because he says, when you pray, and he's teaching on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 11 and Luke 11, verse 2. He says, when you pray, guys, you're going to give yourselves to this like I have. And you're going to enjoy it and experience the same things I have through it. And he saw prayer as essential to the progress of the ministry of ministry in God's kingdom on earth. This fascinated me. Jesus did not think, oh, I'm the one man show here. He said this. He said to his disciples, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his office. He saw the connection of God's reaping, this glorious kingdom having effect in the hearts and minds of mankind, going forward through persistent, earnest prayer. That's how he prayed. And Jesus experienced the greatest encounters he had with God. I, I can't, I can't even imagine what it was like for Peter, James and John to be in that mountain. They go off to pray and Jesus is praying and he gets transfigured. In other words, a little moment, there's a chink in this veil that's veiling his glory gets removed. And Isaiah and Moses come in this cloud of glory on this mountain and they speak to Jesus. Friends, out of this again, as Jesus is on his way to the cross, and he's the greatest encouragement of his life. He's, he's setting his face to Jerusalem in this transfiguration. God hears the voice of the Father again, like at the start of the ministry, as he needs to finish well. He hears the voice of the Father again, encouraging him, saying, this is my son, listen to him. If you want an encouragement in your work, maybe you're facing some sort of fear or some sort of depression or some sort of um, space in your life where you are just downhearted and, and feeling discouraged. Friends, encouragement comes through the voice of God we hear through prayer. Jesus said even in spiritual warfare, power comes in casting out certain demons only through prayer. Matthew chapter 9 verse 29. In and Jesus' ministry was not just preaching. We think of him publicly going, hey, I'm going to be this brilliant preacher and, and, and healing. That was not only the ministry that Jesus did. Did you know that he prayed for others a lot? 
And even now, one of the primary ministries of Jesus is intercession, standing in the gap through prayer for other people. And in John 17, we see his high priestly prayer. He says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. He prays for you now in heaven. He is devoted to prayer even in his glorified body, his resurrected uh, state. And I want to point out today, he prayed in his hours of agony and suffering. He said, Father, if you're willing, three times he went in that garden of Gethsemane. He said, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He prayed in his hour of darkness. It was interesting. He didn't run to his disciples. He asked them to pray with him. That's how highly Jesus saw prayer in a time of suffering. He didn't run to other people's opinions or seek to let them prop them up primarily. No, no. He went to his father. And I want to say today, friends, this is how prayer works out. Jesus was saturated with it. He modeled it through all of these, um, these, these, these seasons of the soul and life. And if this sinless son of God had to do that, how much more you and me? And so it's no wonder, as I close today, that the New Testament that we see is the perfect model of this. It's no wonder that they model the one that they follow Jesus in their prayer life. There they are in Acts chapter 1, praying devotedly to this God. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14, they're together. That's it. The prayers, they're really being devoted to the prayers together. They're devoting themselves to the prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? The power of the Spirit is poured out in them like Jesus at his baptism. They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they have these tongues of flames, of fire on their heads. And within one day, 3,000 added to the church. And from that moment, God starts moving. And they prayed. Boy, when, when they were being threatened by the authorities not to preach Jesus in Acts chapter 4, they prayed. And God shook the room and they were emboldened to go on preaching the gospel. And revival continued to, to spread out in through the city of Jerusalem. When it came to compassionate ministry in the church and the apostles were tempted to get stuck in and get their hands uh, into feeding the widows uh, fairly, they said, we're not going to do it because we have to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they appointed uh, prototype deacons. But the point is this, is prayer was so highly valued to the, for the powerful efficacy, efficacy of the word that they weren't willing to give up prayer for the sake of practical distraction. I can go on and on. Revival breaks out in Samaria. Peter and John go down. They lay their hands and they pray for the outpouring of the Spirit to come upon the Samaritan believers. When the centurion who's devoted to prayer, Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, he gets a vision of seeing that God comes and speaks to him and says, Go call Peter. And whilst Cornelius is praying and gets this encounter with God, so this Jewish Peter apostle gets the, he's praying on top of the rooftop. He's praying and he gets this vision that comes down of, of, of eating unclean food and it radically reshapes the relationship between the gospel and that current church and the Gentiles. They get an understanding that this is for the world, not just for the Jews. And it goes further. When Peter is thrown in prison, it says in Acts chapter 12, the church was earnest in earnest prayer for him and he is rescued by an angel. Can you see what God is doing through prayer? During a prayer service, man, they're busy praying together as a church, being devoted to the prayers. That second, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to set apart Barnabas and Paul in Acts chapter 13, verse 3. And for the first time ever, a revolutionary mission work is commissioned. And the world is never the same from that point. The Gentiles are brought in through Barnabas and Paul being set apart as the church is praying. And even at the end of seasons together, when Paul knows he's not going to see his fellow Ephesian elders and uh, brothers and sisters, 
they kneel down together and they pray. They pray. And friends, this is how the church is. The enormous amount of time, Paul opens up his letters to say, I'm praying for you. We are praying for you. And then he says, hey, you pray for us. The call to partner through prayer. And no wonder James says in James chapter 5, verse 30, he says, anyone of you suffering, let him pray like Jesus did when he was suffering. Any of you sick, well, let call the elders of the church, let them pray. Let them anoint you with oil. He, Paul instructs us to pray for governments, to have a vision of what it's doing for the gospel, to speed the gospel throughout the nations. Oh, and then we're not allowed, to, even at the end of our Bible, to forget the, the eternal work of prayer, that as we are praying, even in our life, we might not see it, but we're filling up bowls of incense so that at the right time, God's going to pour out his purposes and plans through prayer, even when we're not around to see it. This is what prayer does. And in the church, the Moravian church, who prayed 24-hour prayer life for 100 years, they had a 24-hour prayer meeting for 100 years, saw the world being reached radically, revival through their missionary work. There is even a Moravian church in Imdan Sinai today because of those people's prayers. George Miller, the guy who built homes for orphans and, and schools, he raised 2,369,000 pounds in the 1880s, which was a fortune by prayer alone. He did no fundraising. He prayed. He schooled 121,000 pupils by faith through prayer. The Welsh Revival, birthed in the power of the Spirit, 1904, was so powerful that policemen had to stop uh, their joint choirs because there was no work for them to do. That entire nation of Wales being transformed through this outpouring of the Spirit, which I guarantee you was done in response to prayer. The Hebrides Revival, these two, uh, two elderly ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith, both in their 80s, blind, one of them, praying for God to visit his people, and I tell you what, God poured out his power on the Hebrides Islands. Church, I do all this to just pull our minds wide and going, what is your vision for prayer? It is the greatest thing you can give yourself to the side of the grave, not just for yourself, but for the world. How are you going to spend your life laying hold of and maximizing this grace gift, this invitation to come and pray to this Father who loves you in Christ? We want to be a praying church. We want to pray before the services. Come and join us an hour before the eight and the six o'clock, half an hour before the half past ten, at ten o'clock. Come and pray. We're praying together and God is moving in our services. Pray in our small groups. Pray in your personal families and your personal quiet time. Give yourself this thing. God is going to respond and who knows how it's going to be. What he's going to do. What he's going to say. What you're going to experience. I will tell you this though. God invites us to ask boldly, frequently and persistently. What is your vision for prayer? We have one life. Like Liz Hill, she gave her life to the thing that has transformed churches, transformed families, and who knows, transformed nations. We'll find out that day when we get to go be with her and hear what was accomplished through her praying. I wanna be like that. I wanna be a man who has been useful and faithful and fervent in prayer for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Will you? Let's be devoted to the praise. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the blessing of this recourse in Christ to come to you as a personal saviour and Father, as the one who loves us. I pray today might we have a new vision of you as a God who loves to listen and hear, of what it means for us to have this access to you. But Lord, I also pray that we would see afresh corporately as a church the power of prayer 
how you bless it and how we've been designed for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we head into a time of communion, let's just focus on God's word to start out. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We've just heard the importance of prayer, all the prayers. And uh, as we take communion, this is a really great opportunity to put into practice some of the things that we've heard. And uh, some of the things we can pray uh, in our, together in our own homes are, we can ask God to illuminate his goodness to us, especially in what he did on the cross. Uh, we sing a great song called Remembrance. That's exactly what it is. We remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made and we can, we can pray, and ask, pray to him and ask him to illuminate that for us. We can ask God to illuminate any sinfulness in our hearts and then we can repent of that sinfulness. We can also use it as an opportunity to show our devotion to the Lord in prayer. Basically, we can tell him how much we love him. And then we can also show great thanks to him in prayer. So I'm going to give you just a moment uh, to pray through those things. They'll be on the screen. Um, each one of those, uh, all, all of them, you can do that. And we'll use that as a, a response time uh, as we go into communion. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, do this in remembrance of him. And as we have spent some time praying, that's exactly what we do today. We take this bread in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. Let's eat in remembrance. And then he also took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Um, the incredible joy of knowing that our sins are washed away in Jesus. Let's drink in remembrance of him as well. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for everything that you have done. Lord, we are so grateful for what that means for us that we were once lost, but we are now found. We were once lost in our sinfulness, but we have been forgiven. Lord, that is the joy of the cross. 
although it was painful for you, it is a great joy for us. And so, Lord, we worship you. We honor you. We love you. Amen. If you'd like to worship with us today, you can go ahead and worship uh, with the link on the screen. Otherwise, have a fantastic day, SBC. Thank you.